When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Does it feel like almost two years since Just the Shark started, since this project kind of came into, into being? Not really for me, because... I suppose I did start it in the first uh, in the first lockdown. Um, I guess sort of towards the tail end or mid to tail end of twenty twenty, but because I couldn't actually do anything live um, for such a long time, it kind of only felt really like I'd started at, at sort of this year, pretty much. I suppose, and from summer this year, which um, which was when we were you know able to start gigging properly. I suppose, yeah, and I'd only really properly released um, a single, well, that wasn't a self-release through my through my record label in 2021. So I guess that's when it felt like it, it started properly. Everything else was sort of gearing up to it. And then, yeah, it felt like 2021 I started. I did, in essence, really. Yeah, 2020 was very much a year of kind of preparation. But then you dropped your first single in 2020, Mission Impossible. That was a 2020 single, right? Yeah. Um, kind of funny, really, because I had no... Uh, idea of what I really even wanted to do I didn't Jaws of Shark wasn't even really a uh, sort of um, a pipe dream <laughs> at that point it was just like I was just writing stuff because there was nothing else to do and I had not you know I, I, I was just bored and I had no real intention of actually really starting a musical project and no sort of real thought into how I'd make it work and you know it actually come to fruition and I'd start playing it live and whatnot. That wasn't really an intention of mine. So, so yeah, I was just putting stuff out and I kind of had the intention of putting it out, putting stuff out like every month because I'd, I'd written loads of stuff. I was like, well, I may as well just do it because there's no plan behind it and whatnot. And then I actually only put one or two, maybe three songs out. So probably only about two, two to three months later. And then I got contacted by my, by some people by my record label currently and um 
yeah and then it sort of went from there and then I was like well okay maybe <laughs> maybe I need to actually put some thought behind this and take it a little bit more seriously uh, but I mean we were still in, in bang in the middle of a lockdown at that point anyway so you know there's only a certain amount you can really do um, and that was I think it came at a good time for me because then I put my first release with that label out which was a song called Demon Dream I put that out and then you know the months following that that ended up doing quite well for me and then the months following that sort of led into gigs being able to happen again and stuff so timing wise it was really good what you were saying there about when the label approached and you sort of felt like you had to start taking it a little bit more seriously and think slightly differently about it how did you ensure that that didn't impede what you were actually creating because part of the appeal of those early singles is how raw they were and how they were just kind of coming from that free space yeah yeah no that's a good point um i suppose because we were still in that situation in a lockdown and whatnot, I was still kind of restricted by the restrictions that we all had on us. Because at that point, I still wasn't able to really easily go and get into a studio and record um, properly and whatnot. So I was still writing very much from my um, spare room at the time. So from a production sense, it was always kind of going to be raw like that. Um, just because I, you know, I wasn't able to do it any other way. So, from a, from a songwriting perspective, it, it doesn't. From a songwriting perspective, it didn't really change anything for me anyway. Because I thought that part of the appeal and the reason that I got approached um, was because because of that. So, it didn't really make any sense in changing it. And I don't really know any other way of doing it anyway. So, that's kind of just the way I like to do it. And uh, and yeah, I suppose everything else comes with you know production and financial budgets and whatnot in order to to get it to put more of a sheen on it and stuff like that but you know that that comes down to like discussing what sort of direction you want to take stuff in um beforehand anyway so yeah it didn't really impact me too much but i definitely did have a thought process behind it it's sort of interesting when when you get something that's sort of kind of does well for you you kind of do think, well, maybe I need to move everything else to be sort of more in line with that. And maybe I need to write stuff that's a little bit more in line with that. But then again, if you do that, then you're just not really writing for yourself. You're just writing for, you know, someone else or for a specific person. And then all your stuff ends up sounding the same anyway. So <laughs> so try to shy away from that as much as possible and just kind of keep it, um, keep it flowing and free and fun. Yeah. I mean, with what you have now and the sound that Jaws the Shark is, with what you were saying to about how you started writing, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, was it always destined to sort of take the shape that it has or could it have gone off in potential directions when you first began? Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I was, right before the pandemic hit, I was um, I was writing a lot of stuff with my friend, with my friend Brendan. That was a collaborative thing and it was um, it was quite different to, to the way that Jaws is now because we sort of we were both in two separate places and we're both in London when we started that and just so happened to be like maybe a month or two before the pandemic and had the pandemic not happened we likely have just carried on down that path and that was way more kind of like a rocky thing but with way more sort of electronic vibes and sort of purposeful electronic drums and things like that so it definitely was more of a collaborative thing whereas Jaws stuff is literally my sound you know so it's not um but it could have it could have easily have, have gone down that route um and when i first started writing jaws stuff because there was no 
pressure on it, no, no anything. I literally was just writing whatever I felt like. And my influences are pretty broad as, as, as far as they go anyway. So there was some stuff I'd write on acoustic and it sounded quite country. Uh, there was some stuff I'd have on a keyboard and I'd just go full Calvin Harris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of, on. Yeah, there you go. Um, just whatever I felt like really. And then I sort of did fine tune Jaws a little bit when I thought I, I'd end up making stuff more sort of scuzzy and fuzzy anyway, just cause that's sort of the, the stuff that I like to listen to and just sort of naturally the way that I will always go. So sometimes those songs, it didn't quite sound like, well, it sounded completely different. I would then take it into a more sort of Jaws environment and just whack a load of sort of heavier drums on it, some fuzzier vocal and, and, you know guitar basically yeah but i quite like i quite like starting songs off uh in in one way and then just you know making them jaws because the difference and then you've got two separate versions of the same song but it's quite interesting to see the origin of it and then where it where it's gone afterwards how fully developed are the songs before you begin to turn them into a jaws song are they kind of completed pieces of work and then you you put them through this this filter or how does that kind of function usually it's nothing more than being out in, I don't know, <laughs> Tesco. Uh, other supermarkets are available. <laughs> uh, and just uh, and having an idea in my head. And so I'll, I'll look like some maniac uh, singing something in my in my phone or, or just like humming a melody and, and stuff like that. And then I'll be like, oh, I can't wait to get home. Because then I'll sit down and I'll kind of fully form it in my head or certainly have like an idea of where it's going. And then, you know, you've got like a normal, relatively sort of universal structure in songwriting. So, you know, like verse, verse, chorus, verse, middle eight, whatever. So sort of try and keep it as simple as possible structurally. And then uh, we'll build sort of around that. But I quite like doing everything in in like, if I can, I kind of, kind of like doing everything in like one sitting. So if I'm, if I sit down and start writing a song, um, or developing from a voice note on my phone, I will just spend as long as it takes to get it to a point where I've pretty much got it done. Uh, and then anything else is just additional. And that can range from taking like 20 minutes to, you know, eight hours <laughs> sometimes, wow. depending on how like in depth it is or how, like how much I want to, put to it production wise and stuff like that so but yeah i mean i have a lot of late nights because i just sort of start start with an idea at like five or six p.m and then i'll be going till three in the morning just because i don't like to come back to it when i haven't sort of finished it because i feel like i lose a lot of the vibe of it it's not to say i haven't done it that way and come back to it because i have but i always prefer to sort of try and get just get the bare you know bare bones of it at least down in in, it, in its fullest form in one city yeah i guess it's easier to tie with something in future that's fully completed than something that's kind of half totally and then baked. you can sort of you know the next day you can you can get up go about your day you can whack your headphones in you can go for a walk and then like little bits just sort of seem to jump out at you like bvs and any other bits of guitar or bit of keys here and whatnot and that's that's the thing if i've got the raw sort of bare bones of it then things start jumping out at me and then it's just a case of like literally just adding those bits in so it's pretty pretty easy i find it easier to do it that way i know for some people it it can be like you know a sort of slow burner 
of a process to get through one so i think that probably makes it easier because it's just me as well sometimes if you've got a four or five piece band and everyone's putting in their input it can be like can make the process a little bit slower because you've got to take everyone's opinion into account and you know stuff like that basically had you played in bands prior to this yeah i've always been in in and around it um i mean i think i think i joined my first first band when i was 17 actually on my 17th birthday it was i remember <laughs> uh and then um yeah and then so i did that for a little bit and then i ended up falling into like the sort of behind the scenes role and work working with a lot of bands as as a as crew so as like selling merch and and traveling with them and uh, tour managing them and stuff like that so and that took up quite a lot of my time uh it doesn't allow a lot of time for writing um because you're just always around doing other stuff and so um so and I, but i'd always wanted to get back into it um for myself anyway and, and i suppose a, a pandemic coming along and wiping the carpet from underneath you and all the work that you've got lined up it's uh it's sort of the perfect excuse to get back into it so i didn't waste any time as soon as soon as the pandemic happened and and here i am still still doing it i guess so yeah are you two are you still tour managing now uh i have done little bits and bobs um it's really hard to to do the two things together because if i'm if i'm away with another act um for you know three weeks a month sometimes even longer i don't really get a chance to pick up an instrument in that time and rehearse my stuff or write new stuff so when i come off of the tour it's super like i don't know hard to get back into it again and you sort of lose you know you lose a bit of the rhythm that you had and, and it's harder to get get back into it bless you thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so yes i have i'm sort of doing little bits and bobs now like one-offs and and stuff like that but eventually i probably will um uh, you know i'll probably just focus on this well i will just focus on this once it starts getting a little bit more hectic for me did lockdown kind of make you reevaluate that lifestyle to a certain extent with the stillness being such an antithesis to that constant movement of tour managing? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you sort of get into a bit of a whirlwind with, and before you know it, you've been on the road for like nine months of the year <laughs> and it's pretty, pretty weird to have that realization and look back. I mean, you get to do a lot of cool stuff. You get to travel a lot and see a lot of stuff, but at the same time you can definitely be in some cities and just be like i don't want to be here on a tuesday night <laughs> you know so it could be a bit of a drag sometimes as well but i yeah i definitely did sort of reevaluate it and then thought well because when i started this it was super exciting and nice for me to start sort of start going out on my own and i really like sort of opened my eyes to what I had been sort of missing out on for a little bit and that maybe this is something that I just actually want to sort of pursue properly. Um, and so that in itself is sort of uh, definitely helped to sway my decision to sort of bow out um, from that side of it slowly. I'd say bow out, bow out. I still do all my own stuff. So if I, you know, <laughs> all my own gigs, I've still got to sort, sort out wherever I'm going. And I, I, I kind of enjoy doing that now. So, it, it, you know, I'm still doing it to a degree. It's just a lot calmer and easier when it's actually my stuff. You Ooh. know, I'm only telling myself what to do. <laughs> well, that's people to worry about as well. It's not, where's the drummer gone? Totally. It's yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know? 
exactly yeah are you doing these shows that you're going out with are you out with a band or are you out on your own on stage or what's the script there with the way that it kind of functions live yeah so everything i've done up until this point i've done as a two-piece um so with me and a drummer um and i've been quite fortunate over these years of working in music to have worked with a lot of um really good other bands and so and uh i've poached a lot of their drummers for my shows <laughs> to be honest with you which is great because it means i have great drummers the issue is that i have to keep sort of flip-flopping between between them because they've got other bands and they're, they're doing their own stuff you know so it's quite it's always chopping and changing um but it's worked so far uh, and then the rest of the stuff i i sort of write into a program so into into what i'm using now logic and um and then I will send it through like an interface and then I'll run some bits of track from a laptop. So visually it's two piece um, and then some track bits. But now moving forward for my next few shows um, that I've got coming up, um, like one on Saturday, uh, I've got a bass player in for that. So it, expanding to a three piece and then even another guitarist in a couple of songs. So moving up to a four so it's quite interchangeable really for me i can either be as bare bones as possible and just be a two or i can move it up to a four it's um whatever i feel like and whatever you know the kind of show is budget plays into it <laughs> it's a lot easier traveling with two people than it is four so but yeah i mean it's uh it's quite nice doing it that way and just knowing that i can sort of strip it back or you know expand it whenever i want um, imagine it helps to keep things fresh for you two on stage, kind of having all these different uh, like incarnations of the project in a live setting. Totally, yeah, it definitely keeps it fresh, and it's um, it sounds different, you know, both ways, and that's that's cool. And I like being able to just have the option of doing it one way or the other. You know, it's not like I started this as a five piece, and that's what people know it as. I can I can sort of do it whichever way I feel is most suitable in the fashion that it sounds different you know inherently like you're saying with it being a two-piece if you're playing like that or if you're playing with a four-piece what do you think are the main advantages for the sound that you do and having it as a two-piece or having it as a four-piece like what are the main advantages of all the different kind of incarnations you can have of it um i think visually the two-piece looks really good for me and the the um the way that i actually record the stuff in if I, if i do it as a two piece and and play it from track is i don't tend to use the stems from any actual recordings that i've got so i don't use like master stems I, i'll record them in live so that it has more of a live feel so if there's bass coming through the pa i record it in so that there are little like you know live I don't want to say mistakes because I don't make mistakes, but happy accidents. <laughs> but you know what I mean, exactly. Yeah, it gives it allows a little bit more f sort of freedom that way, rather than it sounding super regimental and to track and and stuff like that. So it sounds it sounds sort of different in the sense that it, it's just the bass coming through a PA, but it sounds more live than if it was just dragged from the track. Sounds alive. Yeah, exactly. And the, but then the advantage of playing sort of as a as a three piece well i'm yet to find out because we haven't done a show that way yet but we have been rehearsing and it's just um i think that just the vibe um you know there's a lot lot more pressure on me as a two piece because it's just like i'm sort of the focal point and with the drummer and it's it can be pretty energetic my shows are always energetic but i feel like vibe wise it's just like you know 
it's just nice to have the three um but i guess we'll see after saturday after this show i might just think nah <laughs> sack it off but uh no i think it'd be good but yeah we'll we'll see i think that's the more traditional way anyway isn't it of, of expanding the band i always like to sort of try and play with as many live musicians as possible just because it it does bring something a little bit more magical the affair you always see with rock bands as well you think about like the 1975 you know started off with four guys on stage and now when you see them it's got you know backing singers and all these trumpet and saxophone players and all this business going on it just keeps kind of building out and out and out yeah totally and i mean i suppose and there is a reason for that you know um it's because it sort of makes it a little bit more of a a little bit more of a show i suppose yeah. uh it, it just adds to the whole production of it and and just and ultimately that's what it is isn't it it's all about putting a show on so so making it as good as it possibly can be but um even with bands like royal blood and stuff they have like backing singers and things like that now and visually that looks quite cool so you know i can see why people do it You've got the, is it next month, the Dinosaur Pile-Up show as well? Yeah, uh, I've got one on the 16th uh, of March and then one on the 23rd um, as well, yeah. Because you started off selling merch for them, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've known those guys for, and I've I've tour managed them as well for years. I've been all over the world with those guys and I know them really well and they're some of my best friends. And I use Mike, the drummer, uh, from them for a lot of my shows obviously with this one when we're playing together it's, it's not gonna happen i wouldn't put him through playing two sets a night but uh but yeah so i mean that's that's really nice that that's a really good friendship that we have between us and um yeah yeah love the guys yeah how old were you when you sold merch for them uh, well i'll tell you what it started out it's funny because i went to see them as a band before i knew them when i was back in devon in in a this city called Exeter and I went to see them I dragged a load of people that I was working with to a show for a band that no one had ever heard of <laughs> I was like that'd be great honestly yeah so I went to watch them and then like a couple of years later after I'd moved to London they just so happened to be shooting like a music video and um one of my friends was like oh, I should go I think they were asking like an open casting for it asking for people to go down my like, Sunday I think it was and I was like yeah alright like the band why not so did met him there and then uh just got on really well and then yeah they invited me to go on a tour selling um selling merch for him but i guess i must have been like i don't know early 20s like 21 or something like that i can't remember but yeah a little uh been doing it for years so it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to think <laughs> about that i don't know eight years or something i've been working with. i don't know yeah what were your uh, what were your ambitions? What were your goals? Your kind of aims as a young twenty year old? What were you thinking about when you were looking at the future? <sighs> oh, God knows. <laughs> probably I probably wasn't looking that far <laughs> into it to be honest. Uh, I know that I just sort of disbanded from a band of mine at the time that I sort of had put a lot into and was pretty disheartened by the fact that it disbanded. But I mean, at that age, everyone's sort of when you're so young and then and then everyone starts going to uni and whatnot and moving to different parts of the country so that's sort of what did that um for us sort of sort of broke that up and then so i was pretty pretty broken about that if i remember rightly (laughs) and then i uh then i moved to the city moved to london started doing that uh doing merch and whatnot for bands and traveling and then and then i suppose i thought well this is all right for me 
you know it's quite good getting to see a lot of nice places and travel with your friends and stuff like that but there's always like rungs of the ladder to go up you know if you do merch and I was like well I can expand from this and then ultimately end up being tour manager which is probably like the one of the higher roles anyway um and you start looking after literally everything uh so I suppose I kind of had that aspiration you know it's the same with anything really you always want to sort of keep progressing um same with with jaws now you know it's like starting out but i know where i want to get to and it's up there <laughs> so yeah probably the same thing just having a lot of fun along the way and not really thinking about it too much but i guess it was always in the back of my mind yeah you kind of have these broad long-term goals but then you're focused also on the day-to-day and just being happy in your sort of current existence yeah totally and it was you know and it was a lot of fun um a lot of hangovers from my right which is you know a uh, consequence of fun <laughs> I guess there's a parallel like what were you saying there's a parallel with that to in lockdown and how that kind of forces just to focus on the everyday and focus on the smaller things and kind of be living more so in the moment because when you started writing for this in lockdown you went back to Devon right mm, yeah how long were yeah, you exactly. were you back there for <laughs> well i planned on being there for about three weeks because i didn't know how long this thing was gonna <laughs> last you know so i i think i literally took like three t-shirts and a couple of pairs of jeans i in like a backpack i was like this would be fine this we'll just ride this one out <laughs> because no one knew at the time like how long that was gonna last and i think it ended up being there for like seven months in the end so yeah it just kept getting worse didn't it it was like okay all right oh now this is happening okay now that's happening now i can't even get back to london if i wanted to so and it was it was nicer to be fair rather than sitting in my like pokey little flat in london and not really being able to leave it and go for walks and whatnot i thought if i go down to devon and sit in the countryside there's no sort of distractions there there's fields and like rivers and nice stuff to you know go and get my hours exercise (laughs) You know, that was the that was the thought process behind that, and yeah, like I say, no sort of distraction. So it was super fortunate and helpful for my writing actually. Um, and I think, in fact, I I was quite scared about coming back to to London and everything sort of opening up again and seeing friends and whatnot. Because I thought, well, this is going to distract me a lot now, and I'm not really going to be able to write as frequently because writing every day, in Devon because you know one I enjoyed it and two there was nothing else I could really do and so I'd set myself challenges and goals to sort of have x amount of songs you know by the time I moved back to London and then I sort of wanted to set myself a challenge when I moved back to sort of keep up with that um it has definitely slowed down since I've been up here but then again it always was destined to but I've managed to keep up keep up the um sort of prolific writing which is really nice um but i do think like if i was gonna do it properly and i needed to sit down and get an album together i probably would go back down to the countryside not necessarily devon but somewhere and just sort of isolate myself for a little bit because i found that quite um quite productive and useful for me when was the last time you'd had a period like that prior to to lockdown never like like no i mean I, i was just constantly away on on tour and Sometimes I'd be away for a couple of months at a time, come back, be back for like a few days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but then be off again for another month or whatever. So, you know, there's not a lot of downtime to do anything really. Was it ever a struggle kind of readapting to everyday life when you're away and you're on the move so much and you come back and you're kind of just here for a couple of weeks? Yeah, 
yeah you just try and cram everything in uh into a short period of time like and see you know friends and family and all that sort of stuff and have fun uh you know not be at work for a little bit but you know i'll I'll, I'll experience the same stuff when i start properly touring with jaws um it won't be as frequent of course because i mean to make a living the way i was i would have to go between bands and sort of various different tours whereas for me doing it for just myself you know i won't be constantly away uh to to make a living so it'll be a lot more chill doing it doing it uh when i get up and running properly did any of the songs in the cp did they come from that period when you were in devon all of them yeah all of them yeah uh yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the the EP is called Another Day in Paradise, and it was, um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a couple, well, there's a bit of a double meaning there. One, ironically, because every day was exactly the same, and, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so it was anything but paradise. So that's a bit, bit tongue-in-cheek. However, like, you know, the the actual location I was in was pretty nice, so it's, it, it was sort of just a, my way of saying where it could be worse. It just seemed like an appropriate um, title to call that EP. But yeah, they were all uh, conceived there anyway, and then I perfected them when I got back and was able to get into a studio here. I went down to Eastbourne and got in with a, um, a producer and sort of, you know, tweak them fine-tune them and stuff so who did you go in with uh i went in with a a chap called theo verney who um who's a producer um and musician as well a great guy lovely guy love theo shout out theo um yeah we went into a studio called echo zoo in eastbourne um sort of residential studio so you can stay there you know over the course of however long you're there recording so that was nice nice to get away for a little bit I think we were still kind of in lockdown there but you're able to travel for like work reasons you know at that time so that's sort of how I'll go around that one how many songs were you working on or how many did you bring into that environment um I've well in lockdown I wrote probably around 50 wow. so I had I had a lot uh and I've still just carried on writing so I've got a lot <laughs> now uh but I um I I, I only went in and recorded four. We were going to potentially do five, but um, we ended up running out of time in the end. Um, so I recorded four. I just wanted to do four that felt kind of appropriate to that period when I wrote them and um, and that I thought would flow nicely between one another, really. And at the same time, give quite like a as broad a spectrum on my my writing um as as you possibly can do in in a batch of four songs <laughs> what is your with you writing so many songs for lack of a better description what is your process of elimination like how do you narrow it down to this particular four when you've got so many to pick from yeah it's quite hard <laughs> uh so and also i mean everyone always well i don't say everyone i, I certainly do like i prefer I think it's just a natural thing, but I prefer the newer ones I've written versus the ones that are slightly older because they've been sat with you for a little bit longer and the newer ones are always fresh. So you want to go in and, you know, do what, what you feel is the best thing, but not it's not always the case that the newest is the best, you know. So it just means a case of, like, I normally just sit sit them all in a like a private soundcloud link and I'll go on for, like, go on a long drive or walk and I'll sort of sit together and I'll... I'll uh, 
sorry, sit songs together and listen to them all in a row and just sort of which ones I'm vibing with and sort of I'll make notes in my phone and I'll put like various different songs together in little batches and then I'll sort of whittle it down that way. So it can be quite hard to whittle it down. Um, yeah, and there were definitely a few that could have gone on that EP that I that I did really want to put on there, but I thought, you know, I'll be putting more stuff out soon enough. So it's not, you know, I don't need to rush to whack everything on the first one. It's just like, just, just sort of do one EP here and see, see, um, see what the reaction is there and then do another one. You can still, you know, I've, I've been in recorded a second EP already now, which, which is already done. How soon did you head after and, and get that second one? Done? Well, I've only done the second one recently. I mean, this, this EP was supposed to be, this one that I'm dropping on Friday was supposed to be out, you know, quite a long time ago now, but because of the delay in um, shipment and manufacturing of vinyl, everything sort of got pushed back and I didn't want to leave it super long between, you know, the EP coming out online and then like seven months between that and people actually being able to get a physical copy of it. Cause I mean, that's, it just didn't sit that right with me. So we sort of pushed it back for you know in the end quite a long time until we sort of got the go-ahead from the, the manufacturing plant that they were going to be ready but um as soon as i knew that then i was like right i need to get in and do the other one then um or another one yeah i think that's gotten a, there's a it's, it's eased up a little bit now in terms of you know the, the time taken to manufacture so i don't anticipate it being quite so long between this EP coming out and the next one coming out now. So, or yeah, or certainly songs coming out soon enough. Anyway, we, uh, we, we spoke about the opening to this one and the title track turn on the day in paradise, which you follow with cold feet. Were you pulling from a particular period in your life for that one? Or was it more general feelings? Yeah, no, I did write that after, um, uh, after having a, like a birthday party <laughs> basically um that was just that was a song that was bashed out in honestly about 20 minutes uh just sort of felt super super natural super i wanted the energy i wanted it to feel like it was a party you know like it was about a party because it was uh and you know i'm fairly sure it might have even been the day afterwards so i was feeling pretty pretty weird <laughs> um birthdays can be depressing like it's not something that's spoken about very much but there's something very yeah. melancholic about them particularly because they bring on so much kind of reminiscence and looking back at yeah exactly i mean it was uh it was definitely like it was that it was that feeling that you know you you kind of get when you when you're after well after a after an evening that sometimes you can get and you just sort of question everything like and in this one it was like if i even just left now like this city or wherever I am at this time would anyone care do it would my friends even care you're questioning like things like that like friendships and whatnot that's not to say that they you know that is the case it's just like these are sometimes the thoughts that you go through when uh well in in those dark times following the fun times let's say yeah well I think that's one of the things too about being being a part of like the local music scene or the local music industry is that something I noticed in the first lockdown that you had particular people who you thought that you were friends with that you were and you kept in touch with them and you were doing the zoom calls, 
But then there was also quite a large group of people that perhaps I knew through the scene that kind of just fell away and it became very apparent that you only really knew each other through your creative projects and kind of the the ground that was shared there and it wasn't really proper kind of friendships and there was no real roots to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. No, I, I get that 100%. You know, and I had something very similar, um, as I'm sure everybody did, really. It's, uh, you know, it's... It, you know your, your real and true friends are when they're the ones that are checking in on you and, and just zooming out of the blue or inviting you to a, an online pub quiz, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Uh, and that was like, I actually did start one of those as well. We had a weekly one and that was just really nice because we'd end up being on it for hours just just catching up, you know, throughout the week. We actually did, did something as well, me and my friends, um, where every Sunday we would... All, all of us, we'd sort of choose um, an album that, w- that we wanted everyone to listen to. Maybe it could be as popular as, you know, as whatever or not. Uh, and so, but we'd all sit on, on Zoom and sort of, um, I think we'd like share the screen or share the audio or whatever. And then you literally just sit back and just listen to an album from start to finish, just whatever, you know, that someone whose turn it was to choose something had chosen. So it could be because something completely, you know, off the wall that I wouldn't necessarily go for, or it could be something that, you know, you grew up with where you're just singing every word, but it was nice. It was just nice to sit back and just like have a beer, you know, you'd see your friends, but you wouldn't actually necessarily be saying much. I think we maybe stop it after every song and like have a chat about it. Yeah. But you're kind and of just sharing in this experience together. Totally. And that was quite a, quite a beautiful thing to do, I think, actually, you know, at that time, because there's no right or wrong path to choose when uh, at that particular moment in time. So it was quite a nice way of socialising, in a way. <laughs> With what we were saying about Cold Feet a few moments back and that looking back and that kind of questioning everything that prompted that song... What role do you think self-doubt plays in creativity and creating music for you, if it has a role at all? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't really... Um, I see it happen to a lot of people, and I do see a lot of people changing their minds or being quite indecisive with stuff, which I guess could or I guess could be put down to being, you know, or having self-doubt. doesn't really... Well, you know, fortunately, it hasn't really factored into anything that I do yet. I'm quite, quite content with what I'm doing and quite happy with it. And I'm pretty driven by that and don't tend to have an awful lot of self-doubt. I mean, I suppose I've got a lot of confidence in what I do and I trust my ability to do it and to deliver. If It's not to say that there's stuff that I've made and I've gone back to it and I thought, don't like it because I have. But that's not me doubting that I wouldn't be able to do something to it or make it better. Um, and I don't often, you know, question um, what I'm doing or my process behind it, fortunately. And hopefully that doesn't change because it's, it's quite <laughs> nice being like, you know, not not restricted and held back by that. But yeah, that's just me anyway, personally. But then a song like Still Young has this edge to it where it's sort of looking at self-criticism and being a little bit too self-critical is that then less music-centric and more just generalized about being self-critical about yourself as a person or yeah and it's not necessarily even about 
me. Um, it's, it's sort of a, more of a broader stroke and sort of just, you know, I think these, these days and certainly after like a, a lockdown, you know, when people were on, uh, social media and stuff all the time, it, like a lot of the time as well, you know, like all day, <laughs> every day. And that can have such a massive effect on your mental health and your well-being and that is a song like still young is just is basically just saying like don't worry about that if you can if you can of course help help but don't you know don't compare yourself to anybody else don't think that just because this person is younger and they're doing so well that you should have done that or you should be doing that there's no there's no there's no time frame on anything really age age is a number you know it's uh you're as young as you feel and if you want to do something do it you know it's not it's just saying like it's just saying that, that there is that um that sort of ref- period of reflection but ultimately it's quite like a for me it's quite like a uplifting message behind it behind like a veiled melancholic yeah, yeah, quite an uplift. But I think I saw vibe. a quote from you where you said that we're never told to make positive changes. Well, you're not. No, exactly, yeah. <laughs> what do you feel are some positive changes you've kind of made in your life in the last year? Um, some positive changes that I've made in my life this past year. Uh, we're getting a little bit therapy-esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should be on a chaise long. <laughs> um some positive changes i've um i've learnt to be more patient with people uh like th- i suppose doing this um for me and being a solo act i and doing everything myself i i always have super high like expectations of myself and I kind of i used to sort of try and expect the same level of commitment and drive behind stuff as me but you know you do realize that not everyone has the same view as you because it's not person they're not personally invested in it so with something like music and and um and especially my music i'd want i'd want to just feel that people are like i need need you know need this to do as well as it's gonna do or whatever but you've got to understand that you know people have other stuff going on uh and just because you want it and you want it now, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to physically be able to happen. So, and that has taught me to be way more patient and uh, calm in those situations. Not that I was some raging monster before, but, <laughs> but that used to, uh, but it did used to sort of annoy me a little bit, but I just sort of understand now that it is just, it is just kind of more chilled and to just sort of be more chilled with people and, and just be nice in general. Like you get way further in life by being just nice to people. And I just don't feel like, you know, you, sometimes it, when I be uh, a tour manager, there are certain aspects of that role, which make you have to be a little bit forceful or, um, you know, you just, ha- you just have to have a, a, a bit of a way about you that makes people give you or ultimately whoever you're working with what it is that you're asking for and what you want so you have to be a bit brash about it i don't necessarily like that it's not really where my personality would go to naturally so i've um i've sort of learnt to uh 
to just be a bit nicer in general anyway because it, it did sort of turn me into a bit of a like a I don't know not a nasty person <laughs> I know what you mean though but because I but, work with a lot of tour managers through doing this and particularly yeah. when I first started and I think I was like 17 or something a lot of them do come across as cunts but you have to remember that <laughs> that they've been on the road for like a few months or whatever and that was always the thing that kind of bore in mind that being on the road for three months probably not having enough sleep people aren't going to be no there's no reason and, exactly well that is that is true but then again like it's not your fault is it so you shouldn't be spoken to in some sort of um condescending way just because <laughs> someone's had less kip than you do you know what i mean like that's that's but that is something that i've tried improving on and i've just tried making you know a positive change on my my attitude and general outlook on life really i think so that's that's the main one really uh i think like even starting jaws jaws the shark was a positive change for me uh because it's something that I had wanted to do and I don't think I realised how much I wanted to do it until I've actually started doing it now because I just really enjoy it and it's just it's nothing feels like it's a well not nothing feels like it's a chore but it certainly feels like it's you know I don't mind doing stuff that I, I would otherwise feel you know pretty um, just not as enthused by if it wasn't for me before we wrap this up. I feel I would be remiss if I didn't mention Peep Show as one huge fan of the show to another. The, oh, yeah. uh, the show from right. which your band takes its name, your musical project takes its name. How often do you have that on repeat? Is it one of these ones? I feel like it's something I've always kind of got kicking on in the background when I'm cooking or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's one of those ones, actually, If uh, for me, if I've gone to bed and there's nothing else on, I don't watch a lot of telly, um, to be honest with you the i try kind of stick to the old classics or my classics um in that sense so if i go into bed and i've just got a laptop on me i'll whack peep show on or i'll whack the office on or i'll whack it's always sunny in philadelphia on or something like all that. the classics uh, <laughs> all the classics um and i just find it uh yeah, like you say, you know, I, I, well, I know, and I'm sure you do, the episodes inside out now, you know, <laughs> word for word, a lot of it. So it's just like comforting and just one of those ones that you can just really chill to. And I quite like that. Not always sunny necessarily. It's very shouty, that one, isn't it? But uh, still comforting to me, though, in some way. But yeah, I, 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 um, I still have that on quite a lot, to be honest. And even better when it comes to that episode where they, you know, bang on about Jaws the Shark. One of the best episodes. Is, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was just a complete happy accident as well because I am. Um, uh, it was at a time when I was like, well, what should I call myself? Like, I've, I've always been like a real shark nerd, like always since I was a kid. I wanted to, when I was younger, I'm talking like 10, uh, I just like used to collect like a load of magazines and subscription um, sort of magazines and things like that and they would send me different shark ones every week or something. So I just used to read up on that. I think I wanted to be like a marine biologist by the time I was about 12 years old. <laughs> just study sharks. Obviously that didn't happen, but my fascination has remained. You were getting in shark teeth and stuff when you were growing up. Yeah, yeah. I, I had remember a, yeah. a few of them, yeah. I had a... Uh, I had a tiger shark necklace or like just a one tiger shark tooth. Uh, Surfer style necklace. necklaces. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember it as well because I used to run around a lot, you know, playing football and whatnot. And I'd wear this thing and it just used to come up and just catch me in the eye. Oh, man. <laughs> Flick up and I'd be getting toothed to the eye. And uh, so I had to stop wearing it for a bit. God knows where that actually is now, though. Some Someone would probably dig it up somewhere in some field in Devon somewhere. In a few hundred years, someone will be kicking about with a metal detector and they'll come up yeah. on that necklace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's what, uh, my, my fascination of sharks has remained. And then I was watching that episode and, and they kept banging on about Jaws the Shark and how that was its name. And it was sort of like a light bulb went on. I was like, well, that's that, I guess. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.